0: Please listen carefully.
1: Welcome to the NC State Philanthropy Podcast, telling the world how we think and do through the support of our friends, alumni, and more. I'm your host, Taylor Pardue. On this episode, we're joined by Jennifer Peavy, an NC State alumna, staff member, and planned gift giver who wants her mark on the pack to last far into the future. Welcome to the NC State Philanthropy Podcast. Today we have Jennifer Peavy with us. She's an alumna and staff member of the College of Design. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer.
0: Thank you, Taylor. I'm glad to be here.
1: Um, So to kick things off, um, Mm -hmm. just tell us a little bit about your early life, how you came to be part of the pack. I know you have a really rich backstory and a family history with the university.
0: Sure, absolutely. So I am, let's say, a second generation. Uh, My father uh, was the first to go to college, and he is a graduate from NC State um, in the mechanical engineering program. And he then went from here to General Motors. That was a dream for him. He always worked on cars growing up, and that's how people introduced him to mechanical engineering, thinking he would would be good at that. Um, My family is originally from North Carolina. Um, He was from Statesville, and my mother was from Maiden, a little town about 2000 near uh, Lumberton. And so I, um, though, when I got to the point of looking for colleges, I ended up uh, interviewing a number of universities and actually ended up at the one in uh, the Southern Carolina <laughs> state of Clemson. And a lot of it at the time was just a matter of the classes were smaller. I guess I was a little nervous about going into it. But then my sister immediately was at state and then she married okay. a good state grad. <laughs> and um, what's interesting is they're all now in South Carolina and I'm the one that's living here ah, in Raleigh. Okay. So I'm the one that takes the pictures of all the things that they remember, like, you know, D.H. Hill and the Brickyard and um, even uh, the Red Line and Groucho's Deli, things on Hillsborough, things like Mm -hmm. that. So it did, although going to Clemson and then um, I ended up in Tennessee for a little while and that was one reason I ended up back in Raleigh. It really felt like coming home.
1: Uh, I know you've also been a loyal Wolfpack fan, even when you were at another university, but still rooted for the teams and everything. Tell us a little bit about that, growing up with the pack.
0: Absolutely. Even though my father was with General Motors, um, we moved back when I was four, back to North Carolina to be closer to um, the grandparents and ended up in Charlotte. And of course, you know, being in North Carolina, you have to be a big on tobacco road (laughs) basketball and, of course, my parents um, were tall people or above average tall people. So basketball was our primary sport that we were into. Um, now, I will say that my grandparents uh, were either Wake fans or Duke fans. Okay. So it was a big thing in our family to you know keep all that together that we were NC State fans. But I was of the age, I was about 13 for the 1982-83 season, okay. and it was a big deal in the Charlotte Observer. And of course, I clipped every single article out of the Charlotte Observer for that entire season. I will admit, though, being a teenager or a preteen coming into that, that um, I had all sorts of weird ideas about being a jinx, <laughs> and I did not watch a single ball game that entire season because I was unreal. scared that they would lose. And so, but I collected all the articles and I did not watch the national championship game, but my parents did have a VCR and they taped it for me. And all I remember is them coming, running into the room, jumping on my bed. (laughs) And I remember waking up going, what, what? But we had gone shopping. I had a special outfit to wear just in case that they had won so I could wear it to school the next day. And then, of course, I came home and it was nice. I at least knew they won, Mm -hmm. but um, it was nice, though, to be able to watch the game
1: I was going to say the VCR came in handy. Yeah, you got to watch it after all, but...
0: It did, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, it, it was a big deal to be able to be part of that.
1: So tell us a little bit about how you came back to State then, or came to State for the first time, but... How you finally found your way here, and uh, what all you've done since?
0: Absolutely. So, um, so yes, I was uh, with Clemson and got my chemical engineering degrees from there. Mm-hmm. Then um, ended up with Sealed Air in South Carolina. At that time, was CryoMax, so that was in the Upstate. So, it. and in it fact, I tell a lot of people. Or a lot of I've got a nephew who is a senior in high school right now, and he's mm-hmm. between Clemson and NC State. And okay. It's hard for me to sway him one way or the other. But I do tell him, you know, your network ends up typically where you graduate from. Okay. And so I sure. tell him, I you know, if you like living in South Carolina, then, you know, Clemson's probably good for you. But if you'd like to live, you know, elsewhere, then North Carolina. And granted, you can go other places. Sure. But it's still, you know, your, your network. Base. Your yeah. network tends to, And that's one reason I ended up in the upstate. So... Um, At some point, I ended up just saying, I think I could do something a little bit different, or Mm -hmm. I had grown. I had been introduced to industrial design, and I was finding this new space, and I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And a recruiter called Mm -hmm. that uh, picked me up going to Eastman Chemical that was in Kingsport, Tennessee. Now, the irony there is I thought, well, that's still (laughs) the South, right? (laughs) You cross the other side of the mountain, no. It's different, nothing it's different wrong with South, it, yeah. but it is different and being in the mountains was completely different. Um, but after about two or three years there, uh, Eastman was actually looking for a university where they wanted to place or focus 75% of their external innovation money. Okay, Went through 200 different universities And ended up with a top four and so I was involved with the group when we got to those four and really it was a top two and if those two didn't work out the other two were back up so I was involved in the site visits where we had a number of people and I had Moved to Eastman, part of it was the fact that they had a, a strong um, marketing content towards industrial designers. And because of my experience at Sealed Air with industrial designers, mm. it kind of wooed me in the fact, you know, you could you know engage with designers this way. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. Sure. Um, so part of what I was doing was because I do not have a PhD, was no. I was representing all the other things outside of the sciences. So okay. the College of Management, um, probably CHAS, the, the Communications, and then obviously the College of Design. Okay. So we came and in, interviewed, and NC State was chosen. And a lot of it was because of Centennial Campus, mm-hmm. which is completely unique. Yes, most universities have a research arm somewhere, but the fact of having students living on campus, the faculty teaching mm. on the same campus, and research, where you could interact in a food truck, yeah. was extremely um, attractive to Eastman. Um, after the, a couple of those interviews, I did kind of inform the team. <laughs> I, I didn't really ask. I remember I was rather bold at the time, but said, I will be there whether you all allow me to be part of it or not, you know, there you go. part of it. Yeah, I was going to be there interacting with the College of Design. So fortunately, because um, I was in innovation and this particular group was technology that was, that was doing all this about external um, monies. So they fortunately were like, okay, you're welcome to come and share <laughs> office space with us. So I joined the team on Centennial Campus to manage that relationship between NC State and Eastman. So yeah, that's how I at least got back to Raleigh.
1: So now you're actually on the staff of the College of Design. I How am. did that transition come about? And um, tell us a little bit about the master's that you've earned through the College of Design while you're here.
0: Yes. So while I was here, that was the nice thing. I was not only engaging with the university, but um, I, was, so I was sponsoring projects, I was ser- searching for new projects and new technologies that would be useful. And then um, one of the things that Eastman wanted to do is because of this emphasis on industrial design is they wanted to have an industrial designer in-house. We we had contracted with a lot of uh, different firms and then obviously a number of universities, but this was the time to say, okay, we'd like to have somebody in-house. Not to substitute for it, but at least be able to elevate our questions. We Mm -hmm. would be able to manage better projects. So if you know anything about where Eastman is, it's Kingsport, Tennessee, which is... um, where Tennessee meets Kentucky and North Carolina and Virginia up in the corner and, you know, the Bristol Motor Speedway. Sure. Um, not the place that typically designers are in San Francisco and Manhattan wow. and all sorts of things like that. So they never felt yeah. like they could attract somebody and recruit them down there.
1: Okay.
0: So the idea was, what if we made one of our own? Okay. And then somebody who could stand in the gap. So the fact that I did have the chemical engineering degree, and then we talk about having this design degree, specializing in materials, then we've got this opportunity to be able to bridge that gap between a PhD chemist and then, you know, this highly talented industrial designer, which that was ended up being mostly what my thesis was about was strategy development based on user research. You know, how do people interact with products uh, when they touch like a cup? or a switch plate or a tabletop or whatever it is or interacting with that, what is the experience like? Okay. And so I did a lot of work on warm, uh, warm touch and cold touch and the way um, materials felt over time, mm-hmm. trying to understand um, what was attractive, what would people be willing to pay more for because of that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Then how do you explain that experience not only to a designer and why it's important yeah. which typically means I need a prototype I need to make something at the same time how do you get a business person in there who doesn't necessarily speak that language mm. so that they can figure out what companies who do we need to market to yeah. and then the PhD on what are the properties that would make that experience and so trying to make sure all of these people saw how particularly if you're in a lab working with a Erlenmeyer flask and you're making all these pellets and goo, how they know what they are doing directly influences that particular user experience and that person who is going to pay at something additional for okay. that particular experience. And then therefore you get the loyalty and you get the word of mouth advertising and that type of thing. So I was sitting in the middle
1: sure.
0: between all of these things, which is what I was doing at NC state and, um, and then what I was doing within professional life. So how I transitioned then was uh, while I was in school, management ended up changing and that kind of model was not as attractive. Oh, okay. And so they were looking at a a more traditional MBA way of Hmm. looking at how we chose our innovation projects and how we determine those things. So I was supporting other people in what they were doing. Hmm. But what I was being offered was to go to a more traditional market support, market um, which was going to be a lot of PowerPoint presentations and a lot of mm-hmm. diving through a lot of data, and not that kind of interaction yeah. that I had trained mm-hmm. for. And I made the choice of staying as an industrial designer, so I ended up leaving the company mm-hmm. and um, spent a year actually working at the College, the Wilson College of Textiles, okay. um, over on Centennial Campus, doing a similar type of job where I was taking a nascent technology. Okay. Out of uh, the out of one of the research labs, and then mm-hmm. was creating some sort of prototype to demonstrate why that technology was important to creatives. And in this case, instead of industrial designers, we were looking at fashion designers or technical mm-hmm. designers within the the garment industry, mm-hmm. and just trying to be able to say, okay, this is what it's worth, and support those designers in being able to do their designs with this technology. Mm-hmm. You're know, not telling them what they needed to do, but but telling them what the possibilities were.
1: It's great to see how those skills transferred over so well into that different market, mm-hmm. but yeah, equally valuable. Mm-hmm.
0: And that is the nice thing. You know, there are a lot of degrees that are very specific about skills and, you know, most of the sciences mm-hmm. are about that. But design is all, almost like an MBA in the fact that you leave with a toolkit mm-hmm. and communications may be similar that way. Sure. Is that you leave with a toolkit, and then therefore you can go to any of these industries and markets and apply those. Yeah, and it's it's kind of one of those degrees that way, Thanks. or a way of thinking that allows you to do that.
1: So, what are you working on right now as part of the College of Design?
0: So, um, my contract with co- with the College of Textiles was only for a year, mm-hmm. and um, I then decided to take a couple months off and adopted cool. a puppy.
1: There you go, and had a <laughs>
0: paternity leave. Is what I like to call that. Um, I was then starting to say, okay, what was I going to do then? Mm. I really did enjoy this idea of being able to offer all of me, mm. not just design, because I was a brand new designer. Yeah. I mean, but with all of my experience, there's a certain level of salary I was expecting, but I was a brand new designer. So to come out and just say I was a designer is a little difficult.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: I could go back to engineering, but hey, I had grown into these other spaces. And then there was innovation management that did sit in the middle, and that was okay, too. Um, But I liked the idea of saying, I am technical. Mm -hmm. I am able to do this slight business with the management. But Mm -hmm. then I had this creative user side that I looked at. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time looking at that and trying to figure out what I was going to do. And ended up creating some sort of structure where I was trying to understand how I worked best on how I would define that. So I did start offering freelancing services. And part of it did come down to, okay, what what do people need? But I do spend a lot of time looking at what people need and then helping them see how I can fill a gap. It still is going back to this gap between either the project or different groups of people that may not necessarily um, communicate that well. So what has happened then is one one of my clients is now the College of Design. I'm not necessarily being a designer, mm-hmm. but it's because I can speak the language of design yeah, that I'm able to gaps, I'm yeah. able to work with them, and I'm basically doing project management mm-hmm. and facilitation. I'm helping them figure out and supporting them in their decision making. Mm-hmm. So I've got three different projects right now. One of them is um, the College of Design is turning 75 mm-hmm. in the year 2023, and they want it to be more than just one party. Okay, And so we're spending a lot of time talking about what that means. Mm -hmm. And part of that is they want to be Mm -hmm. able to look at the history of the college um, with the 75 years. It was was a very big thing in 1948 when Mm -hmm. they started the College of Design. And it was a very forward thinking that came from uh, the Chancellor Caldwell at the time Mm
1: -hmm.
0: on what would urban development be. Raleigh was starting to come about. And it wasn't just Raleigh, but it was this idea of what what happens with the middle class now that people were able to afford homes and there was urbanization that was happening and how should cities be developed. And that was, that was a very big deal. And, um, at the time it was Dean Camp Hefner that was brought in and he brought in some of the biggest rock stars in design at the time. And it, it still to this day is considered one of the hallmarks of design in that time period. And what NC state did, so they want to have a very accurate history. We have a lot of information about that time period, but not necessarily 65 years or the 65. past 65 years. we trying to understand what else happened. Cut. How many times did uh, the College of Design deal with paradigm shifts mm. and how did they respond and how did they support the university or support North Carolina in that? So we'd like to have that. Um, then making sure that people know more. You know, when you got the fourth largest engineering school in the nation mm. within the university, and this is the smallest college at the university, <laughs> sometimes the College of Design gets overlooked. Okay. So making sure that everybody knows mm-hmm. what has happened and what the College of Design is today yeah. and what they could be in the future. And then the third major thing is looking at some sort of grounding. What is the future of design education? Mm-hmm. And part of that may be that then the College of Design kind of soul searches on what, how do we support mm-hmm. that future. But there's so much that's happening, even just with the global pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, you can say we all know there's been a shift. Sure. But we know with the information age and we know with Gen Z coming out that there's going to be a huge shift in how people live, how people interact, what they want to be able to Mm -hmm. do. And so what do the designers of tomorrow need to be able to meet those challenges. Not only of this paradigm shift that we know we're in the middle of, but there's gonna be another one and another one and another one that'll be coming small or big, or yeah, small or big that'll be coming out. so.
1: Well, so that actually offers the perfect segue to what I was going to talk to you about next with your extensive involvement with NC State and now the College of Design specifically, Mm -hmm. you've chosen to make a planned gift Mm -hmm. uh, benefiting the college and Mm -hmm. specifically professors in the college. Right. Tell us a little bit about your gift, why you chose planned giving, and what you hope to accomplish uh, in furthering these goals of the college.
0: Sure. Well, planned giving is what I could do, is what it comes down to. Um, You know, I am trying to start this freelancing business and so everything is being sunk into that, Mm -hmm. but You know, I can look at, in my case, my 401k, and say, this is something that I can do. Um, So that is, that was one way I looked at it. Now, specifically about the professors or the professorship, a lot of that comes back to my time where I was at Eastman and I was interacting. So again, I was sponsoring projects. I was a student. um, I was mentoring college or or other professors on what they could do to interact with with Eastman. (laughs) And there, there were many times I would sit in an office and somebody would say, Jennifer, you need, we need your Eastman hat or we need your student hat or we need your friend hat. You okay. know, there would be times where, um, yes, I was representing Eastman, but there were times that I was like, okay, no, let me coach NC State on how to deal with this particular project or even coach on how to deal with some other corporate entity.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, because it is a different world between academic and um, corporate. But what would come out of that was I would see how complex Mm -hmm. everything was that was going on. Definitely, I'm sure. Because part of it was not only, okay, so how do we educate the students? And and we have these opportunities for them. Mm -hmm. And so I'd step in and try to help with that as well if they needed me to speak. Or, you know, sometimes it's kind of like, you know, your parents telling you something. You know, if somebody else tells you, it's easier to hear. Right. So if I could come in and say something, maybe the students would listen to me. Vice versa would happen, too, as I was a student. Some of the students would say, hey, can can you go ask this professor this? And so it would go both ways because Uh the professor might listen to me (laughs) instead of, you know, a 20-year-old asking for that. So it would go back and forth. But then there was um, how to communicate these things so the students had done all this wonderful stuff so yes there would be the normal thing they might do posters but then the idea of how do you put together basically a show or a symposium or a trade show type of thing where everybody has posters and they've got their products and they're able to interact one-on-one one. Well, it was very complex okay. there was so much going on with all of that and part of what i felt like with the gift was because they're so worried about fundraising, and they and that's part of it. Yes, I was sponsoring projects, but if we could alleviate some of that complexity, mm-hmm. that allows them to open up space to maybe think broader or um, think about how they could put systems together to be able to make the experience better, not only for the corporate entity but for the students. Mm-hmm. It might have been that it was supporting research. We did have projects that um, multiple semesters that actually would end up being an enormous research project when you looked at the overarching. Hmm. But it was just that idea of instead of running a rat race day to day, alleviate some of the stress such that somebody could have a longer term view that Hmm. they were looking at. And then that's an upward spiral. Yeah. You know, if they're able to think more and create larger systems, then more students are attracted. Higher quality students are attracted. Higher quality faculty and staff mm-hmm. are attracted to be part of it. And it would just be interesting to see where that could go.
1: What would you say to someone who maybe has never thought about doing a planned gift before mm-hmm. but is uh, intrigued with the idea?
0: I, so I think part of it for me is, um, of course, my entire mm-hmm. estate planning you know, you've got the house, you've got all sorts of other assets that are involved. Mm-hmm. For me, it was very easy to just look at the 401k because there's typically a beneficiary that's in all of that. Sure. I liked the fact of knowing where it was going and mm-hmm. what was happening to it, and even being able to have an opinion. You know, you might sure. give it to your family and you hope for the best thing, and, and there's still a whole lot of other assets that can be done that way. But in this case, you know what's happening, um, in my case, I had a certain amount of money that the then the state would match half of that money. And with all of that together, that was enough for the professorship. So it's also knowing that, okay, I could do this right now and we could designate it, but this money is expected to grow over time. And we, we expect that. We, we assume it is going to grow over time. So it's also something that I can watch how it changes. And I'm able to have another conversation with NC State when it gets to the point yeah. That it's grown or that we could talk about something else or whatever it is. There's this idea of dreaming with it. That's kind of a nice thing because you really don't know. And maybe the other assets are fine. But there's something that you can have a conversation. It's an active conversation, which is kind of nice, too. Yeah. I, you know, estate planning or talking about death with your children or talking with your family can be a big deal. <laughs> sure. And it should be done. I know there's there's a number of financial institutions I saw that are actually starting to try to facilitate those conversations. Not that they necessarily assume that they will be involved with whatever the planning is, but just helping people have those conversations. Maybe sometimes you can't have that conversation. And this, yeah. it was just kind of nice to be able to start that with an entity that, you know, they're going to be okay. Nobody's necessarily at NC State's going to cry if I pass away. Mm-hmm. But it was an easy conversation to have, Uh and it probably would make me braver to be able to have that conversation with my family members. Mm -hmm.
1: A lot of what I do uh, as a public communication specialist for the university is talking about planned giving, and it is a difficult conversation at times, but I think stories like yours Mm -hmm. and the idea that, yes, it is a gift, but it's also an investment. It shows that you can have a say in how your money is spent afterwards and just... This is something worth supporting.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I, and I also think that fact that it's not just one conversation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that if things change.
1: That's true, too. Yeah. You
0: know, technology may change or um, emphasis may change. Uh, the program may change. Mm-hmm. You know, you're able to have that conversation and continue it. Um, and it. And it's relatively easy to do.
1: I think so many times people hear that I'm making a gift. And they think, okay, I'm turning turning it over. It's out of my hands now. I don't have any say. I don't have any right. control. But you really can be, especially with plan giving, you can be as specific as you'd like. You yep. can still be involved. And you can already see some of the benefits in your own lifetime and really see that, yes, my money is go- going to be put to good use. And this is right. an entity that really does something worthwhile that I want to continue supporting.
0: Right. Yeah, and that, that does give some credibility. You're exactly right. Because... You are involved with this community of people who are planned giving you know, in that way with the Poland Society. You're able to do that. You can watch and see what happens with money that may have been designated 20 years ago. And you can say, okay, this is what will happen with mine. And that not only you get to dream it, but there's some comfort in it and a little bit of, of knowledge of what's going to happen.
1: Speaking of the Pullman Society and and seeing some of the rewards of your investment ahead of time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for listeners who may not know, the Pullman Society is actually a lifetime giving society that honors and recognizes people who have made planned gifts to the university now while they're still alive. Mm-hmm. They can see you know they're part of a bigger group. Everyone you know, however much you give or however you decide to give it, mm-hmm. any planned gift is recognized by this giving society, and you are um, enabled to attend different meetings and different things, and mm-hmm. really. Um, to really be able to see that how much of an impact this makes on the university as a whole and individually.
0: Right. And, and I think there's something to be um, part of that community because mm-hmm. any other way, and maybe it's because this is the first time I've done this with an entity, mm-hmm. any other way you really don't necessarily have, you, you do this with your lawyer and that's the only person who knows, you know, the fact that, that you have this community you become part of something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's comforting and that's helpful. And um, whether it's legacy or not, it feels like you're part of something, which I think is important, particularly after the pandemic. You know, we've all been so isolated. Mm-hmm. This idea that you can join something. And that might be part of why estate planning is so hard is it's, it is lonely mm-hmm. to be able to do this. and you, And there's one person who knows about it. Yeah. You know, like my parents would hand me their will and it's all sealed and all of this. So I behind stick it behind closed doors. It's, all, yeah, it's, it's behind it's... closed doors and I stick it in a firebox type yeah. of thing and it's all hush hush and secret. But this is one of these things that you can at least talk about, the fact that you did give. You now you might want to keep the number, you know, private or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but it's still something that you can get out there and talk about, which I think is a good thing.
1: Oh yeah. We actually had the 2022 induction ceremony for the Pullin Society a few weeks before uh, this podcast was recorded. And Chancellor Woodson was talking during that. He was uh, commending everyone who had joined that year and just previous members as well for the courage that it takes to face the unknown and Mm -hmm. to, you know, want to ensure that their impact on the pack is uh, continued long after their passing. But um, yeah, it's definitely... It goes with our overall ethos of one pack and really just, like you said, building that community and really letting everyone know that we're in this together, Um, faculty, staff, alumni, uh, just friends and donors. But, yeah, it's a great way to um, really continue that community.
0: Absolutely. So I do have, um, so I have three projects total with um, the College of Design right now. And so we talked about the 75th. Mm -hmm. Um, another project I have right now is actually on strategic planning. Okay. So the university just came out with their Wolfpack 2030 goals. And now each of the colleges is going through their uh, objectives on how to support mm-hmm. those goals. So there again, much like the other with the 75th, we're getting a bunch of people in a room trying to talk about yeah. how they want to make that vision a reality. And it is interesting. Um, so, yes, I'm dealing with a bunch of creatives. Mm-hmm. Which I am constantly amazed at how introverted and how analytical they can be, because <laughs> I'm used to. No, that's, those are engineers. That's
1: job security, is what that is. Exactly. Being able to bridge those gaps between the two demographics and
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but it's quite amazing. So they are um, looking at objectives. But one of the things the university is doing this this time around they have a strategic planning office and they're really looking at measurables and metrics, you know, how well are we reaching these goals? And so for us to be able to sit down in the college of design and say, okay, how are we (laughs) going to measure this? (laughs) And it is really fascinating for how they step right up and go, okay, well we will do it this way and we will do it that way. And, Hmm. um, you know, the assumption is that creatives are going to be flighty (laughs) all over the place. And no, no, it's, it's, I think that might be, you know, maybe the difference between just an art school and now with this College of Design yeah. is, no, there is purpose. You know, there's a lot that happens that is for somebody else, mm-hmm. and therefore you're, you're having to communicate with somebody else. And these data or metrics or however we're going to measure it as a means of communicating. So it, it's been fascinating. And I, I think it's, it's going to be something that's going to come out um, – a lot more aspirational than people cool. are expecting. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's good. I think it's going to be very good, and, and it's been interesting because it's been a collective of putting it together. Sure. With that, um, and then the other project that I have going on is uh, there's a group within the college at sea initiative for community growth and development. The College of Design has typically had a fall conference that was on urban development, so going almost all the way back to the beginning on on how do you develop spaces. In this case, though, um, they're looking at community, which is not just about how you develop a space and what buildings go there, but it's also about how do you make sure that the people that are within that space are supported? Mm -hmm. What is their well-being? So it's things like, are there grocery stores? I don't know if, you know, for those that know downtown Raleigh, we finally have Publix downtown. <laughs> that's just happened a couple of years ago. There are yeah. no grocery stores in downtown. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're really pushing this walkability and all of this type of stuff, if you, you have no ability mm-hmm. to get the basic needs, where do people work in these communities? Is Or are they having to drive an hour to get somewhere to be able to yeah. work? Um, What is the affordability of it? What is the recreation? Mm -hmm. You're making sure that all the elements of life are part of a community, not just where people live, where people work type of thing. So that's what the initiative is about. And the fall conference is bringing a number of people to discuss this. And um, specifically on Friday, it will be, or Thursday, it will be um, focusing on South Raleigh. Okay. And the idea of Mm placemaking. And so there are five different neighborhoods. It starts Mm -hmm. with Centennial Campus. It then goes through Dix Park. Mm -hmm. Then there is a Greenway that would be passing under Saunders Street. And then we have Chavez Park. And then we have Shaw University and saying Mm -hmm. here are the five neighborhoods and talk about how all of this is going to be interconnected within the idea of community development and what are the what are the necessary elements Mm -hmm. of community development. And I think it's going to be an amazing conference. There are going to be some panels. We'll be talking about climate, um, talking about transportation, because as we develop, how do we deal with uh, getting people around? And then having a number of town halls, uh, being able to see uh, different topics, but how people are responding. What are people going through within their communities? Um, or or What issues are they seeing?
1: Not just tell them how to do it, but hear yeah. Really, really make sure it's a dis- yeah,
0: or or have a discussion mm-hmm. on on what are the elements of of a good community. What's going to um, hopefully come out of that is not only starting this discussion and having people um, interact, but we're also looking at what kinds of projects could be supported, or uh, or what kinds of projects need to happen within that space. So, for example, right now I, there is not a greenway that connects. Mm-hmm in the middle of these neighborhoods what needs to be along that greenway i know there's there have been some events in in raleigh where they have actually had a pop-up event where they had um, artists and food vendors all like a little festival along a space where they said this is what we envision is there would be this walkthrough here but how do you actually then decide to put that in space so hopefully there will also be this listing of Surface projects, so to speak, which could tie then back into the 75th. It's allowing the College of Design to then serve and then also get out into the community where people will notice. It's not just something that's happening here at the university, which we will have projects at the university, but then we're going out in the community and making an impact.
1: It's great to see the college and the NC State as a whole not just driving this kind of innovation worldwide, nationwide, but really as a land-grant university, seeing the effects of it right here at home, yep. not just in North Carolina, but even in Raleigh, too, just to really see how yep. university impacts people's lives in such a great way. Yeah.
0: And then the nice thing with the college is um, we're going to have academics who will document this, and it will be something that we can talk about at conferences and, and disseminate this and let this be a case study that shows yeah. a good way of doing it or the best way of doing it. Yeah. And so I think that's that's the nice thing of having these multiple entities, because that's really where the problems or this paradigm shift. Yeah, we've talked about that we need interdisciplinary, but I don't know that we've made the bridge over to NGOs and the government okay. and social entities. We talk about that we need to do this, but then mm-hmm. how do you collaborate? And there is a shift. Um, the college now talks about rather than necessarily doing projects for a community, it's now about how do we support the community and what they want and what they have decided? And so we go in as servant leadership, so to speak, as opposed to coming in and saying, this is what we're going to do. So I, I think it's very interesting kind of part of what the transition is.
1: I always try to ask people this. What is your favorite part about NC State? Or favorite parts, maybe, make it a little easier.
0: So it is nice. I, do, I live two blocks from NC State, and I do thoroughly enjoy the campus environment. I love walking across the quarter north carolina um to get over to the college. It you know, it's not something from my younger days, but it does just feel amazing. There's something about the um the atmosphere, the autonomy, the interaction with all sorts of different kinds of people. I do thoroughly enjoy working with the students and interacting with them. It, I don't know how many times I leave and go and tell friends about how excited I am about Gen Z. They are some amazing people. Mm-hmm. And um, I think people need to come and meet Gen Z as often as they can. They're, they're, they're thought-provoking. They are looking at the world a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I like to say, you know, we at Gen X, we were all analog. Mm-hmm. And then the millennials are all digital. Sure. Well, Gen Z is going to figure out how to make the, the two boy, go boy. together. And I think they really look at how there is a meaning to life mm-hmm. as opposed to just how we're going to document it yeah. and, and how we're going to interact with it. And they, mm-hmm. they crave that, almost the swing back, you know, mm-hmm. of being able to make connections between people. And so it, I, I enjoy working with them a, a great deal.
1: For listeners who want to learn more about your work, uh, where can they go uh, on the web or on social media?
0: Sure. Um, I have the website, so it's okay. um, and They can certainly go there. My social media handle is at lab, So you're welcome to okay. follow me there. Um, a lot of that is not so much my freelancing, but um, when I was going through that time of figuring out what I was doing, I actually ended up writing a book um, that's out there. So I'm but what I end up posting is a lot about how I am processing and how I'm managing my projects. So that might be Excellent. interesting. So, um, anyway, yeah, I'd be glad. And I, and it's, it's a lot of it is trying to start a discussion. Mm-hmm. So if people want to follow and you want to reach out and say, what do you mean by this? I'd be more than happy to, to get into that.
1: Sounds great. Good. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for, for your time and just for everything that you're doing for NC state as an employee. And then now as a plain gift giver, uh, it just, it makes an incredible difference.
0: Thank you, Taylor. It was great to be here.
1: For more information on the Office of Planned Giving and how you, too, can make a lasting mark on the pack, please visit ncsugift.org today. If you'd like to hear even more stories of Wolfpack success, please subscribe to the NC State Philanthropy Podcast today in the Apple or Google Podcast Stores, on Spotify, or through Stitcher. Be sure to leave us a comment and rating as well to let us know how we're doing. Thanks for listening, and as always, Go Pack!